0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC podcast where we coach you in the word. We welcome you from around the country and around the globe as you study with us and download our material. We're blessed to have you as a part of the study of God's word with us. Um, we uh, want you to know from wherever you are, we would welcome hearing from you at MikeSpringstonMinistry.com springston5060gmail.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapels Direct Messaging. Um, We also want to remind you of our book, I Surrender, in in Amazon or in your local bookstores. Uh, Today we're going to go into part two of when does one receive the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in part one, we began by talking about the cross, and we entered into the second portion of Christ's work, which was the tomb. And we're going to pick up on that today as we proceed to show you how the Holy Spirit works in coordination with the acts of Jesus Christ. As he works, he reproduces those acts in you, and those acts are revealed in Coordination with the plan of salvation. And of course, we reference Tobak 313. You'll want to go back and look at that. But our foundation scripture for this teaching comes from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. And we're going to have a word of prayer and then we'll read that text and go into the, the second part uh, right away. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God says to us. And then, Father, may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. We surrender, yield, and sanctify ourselves for the purpose of hearing the voice of Jesus. Jesus, may you speak through the Holy Ghost and may He reveal what we need to know, do understand, and demonstrate. We'll receive it and release it to your people. And we might by there be corrected, blessed, led, and guided into truth. We give you praise and honor for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. From Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Let's pick up here on part 2 at the point where we left off at the end of part one, of course, we're defining the action of Jesus as he is in the tomb and the reproduction of this act by the Holy Spirit. Then we're showing you how it relates to the plan of salvation. Now, as we have said to you, many people have many different beliefs on what the Holy Ghost does and when the Holy Ghost does it. But what we're finding as we read Ephesians 4, 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We're finding that the portion or the measure of the works of Christ all have to be operated in conjunction with the Holy Ghost. So to say that we got all that we needed when we got saved is not really... um, corroborated by the word because Paul has said grace has a broader effect because it goes into every portion of everything that Jesus has done. So we want to identify with the portions or the measures of the gift of Christ we also must identify that there is a response to that action by the Holy Ghost to reproduce what Jesus has done in the believer. Of course, this reproduction has a spiritual effect upon the person. The work of salvation is the phase of preservation. Here, the act of Jesus that is reproduced in the believer has an identifying trait. The believer has been preserved, which means that the believer it remains or maintains the condition of the original state. Now, what is then the identifying trait that comes from the death of the flesh in the tomb? Well, Paul told us that in Galatians chapter 5, what the death of the flesh would look like. Remember, he identified the works of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, where is the genesis of the fruit of the Spirit? It comes from what man has been given in the action of Jesus through the death of the flesh that gave him the ability to die to the flesh and begin to maintain the original state, the original condition of the spirit man, reconnected to God. Here's what Paul said. Through the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. These are great words. So the reproduction of the act that Jesus has done is accomplished in us. And we're now producing the effects of the original condition. Of course, there are nine fruits generated in the believer when the flesh dies. These have no law, no law of sin and death any longer to impede their existence. Notice in verse 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Because of this reproduction, the flesh is crucified and dead. The believer no longer operates by the affections for earthly things, and the lusts for anything. Verse 25 tells us what's been preserved into the original state. We now live, my friends, in the spirit, and we walk in the spirit. That is what has been preserved into the original state. What spirit is that? As I just said, it's the original state which God designed in man in Genesis 1. What is the designation of that spirit? Well, it walks and lives in the spirit. This is the result of the portion or the measure of the gift of Christ that comes from his actions in the tomb. So in the tomb, the flesh is to not only die, but the flesh is to fall off, all of the affections and lusts thereof are to be no more, man is to experience a deeper existence and experience with grace and the blood and that occurs in the tomb, they would cleanse him or her from the sin that was embraced by their flesh and that flesh was to die. He was to make the grace of the influence. He was to take it and be transformed by it. That transformation would come with nine identifiers that Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit was to reproduce the death of the flesh in the believer, and the believer was to no longer be a servant. To the things that we know of as pride or lust, that are caused by earthly and fleshly living. Now, if we stop here, what have we accomplished? Well, we've been saved, and we've been exercised. We've exercised the idea of dying to the flesh. We've designated the understanding of a concept concerning spiritual things, but we have not persuaded the required, or pursued, rather, the required steps to ensure that what was supposed to be done, in fact, occurs. Now, what do I mean? People get baptized all the time. They're taught that they're buried with Christ and resurrected with him. Yes, That is the pervasive teaching. But is it the correct understanding? Or is it the quick and dirty lesson that leaves men unprepared for the attacks of the enemy? When I look at our spiritual preparedness, I'm kind of led to think we've accomplished a topical operation that remained very much so attached to an earthly outcome. If we lose sight of what death means and why the death of the flesh is a requirement, we will become excessively vulnerable to the things the enemy sees that he can hurt you with. We must follow and imitate Christ if we're to live a life that can produce his promises of being an overcomer. So what do I, what do I see? Well, I see people focused on money. I see people focused on jobs. I see people focused on possessions. I see people focused on things. All of these, these issues arise because the work that was to occur in the tomb, of which Paul said would generate nine fruit, that would leave behind affections and lust that would cause us to live in the spirit has not really been accomplished. Anytime we think more of the earthly thing than we think of the spiritual thing, then we have not died to the flesh. The work that Jesus has done in the tomb has not accomplished its desired result. What am I saying? The Holy Ghost has not reproduced the death of Christ in those who are lusting after things of this world. I'll say it again. The Holy Ghost has not reproduced the action of Christ in those that are lusting after the things of this earth. Now, how do we know it? Because the traits that Paul taught us would result from such death in Galatians chapter 5, have not been the resulting outcome of their visit to the tomb. So the Holy Spirit's work has not accomplished what it was sent forth to accomplish. Now many would say, of course it has. We've gone through the ritual of baptism. Of course it has. The idea is that the ritual of baptism is the action done that exposes what the Holy Spirit has reproduced in you. Once coming out of that baptism, the earth falls off. The lust of things of this world fall off. The pride of life falls off. So if we're living, chasing those things of this world, living for those things, being very prideful and mindful of those things, then either the work of the Holy Ghost has been deficient in that area of which we know that work has the power to make mountains plains, but in you it hasn't accomplished what it was supposed to. The probability is it hasn't accomplished it because you didn't know it was supposed to. The probability is you've stated the earthly thing. The probability is you're still living at the cross, and in the earthly thing, you're being forgiven, but your flesh is never dying because you're never told that it should. You're never told that lusts and affections for lusts are supposed to fall off. That's a work of the Holy Ghost. But because you don't know that, you live your life seeking and searching after things, that have no spiritual content, and that actually drive you back into the work of the cross. But you were supposed to be by now living in the preserved spirit of the original state. My friend, there's something here that the church has missed. And we can simply look at how earthly we are and realize that we are earthly because we have remained in the earthly thing. But we must move in to the work that's done in the tomb. Paul told us that. We've rejected it because we've been told we got everything we needed when we got saved. But we're finding that the measure and the portion of the gift of Christ is deeper than what he did in the sight of men. It now goes into the spirit man, where Paul says out of that spirit man is going to come nine generated fruit that are going to identify what has been done in the tomb is being reflected in you. Now, my friend, that seems to me to be very easy to understand, but in our modern day theology, it's not uh, taught that way. And therefore, we live vulnerable. We live vulnerable to so many things. Just think if that job that you so loved got cut or canceled. Just think if that house you live in and you so revere burned to the ground. Just think if the cars that you owned all of a sudden had no gas to operate them. Just think if the husband and children that you have put on the pedestal so highly that you have neglected God because of them, something were to happen. Just think. Just think if the money that you so worship and the power that you so think that it brings, all of a sudden your wealth became nothing. You know we live in a day where every one of those things can happen. We live in a day where money's being devalued. The automobile is about to have no gas. Uh, We saw a complete community somehow or another burned down in Maui. Think about it, friend. We've seen loved ones mysteriously pass away at young ages. My friend, our hope and our intention cannot remain in the earthly thing Paul said there is a deeper portion and a deeper measure in Christ Jesus. So if we lose sight of what death means and why the death of the flesh is a requirement, we just simply make ourselves excessively and extremely vulnerable to the things that the enemy sees that he has the opportunity to hurt us with. Because then we will begin to say, where is God? Why didn't God? How come God? I can't believe God. Let this happen. Why me? Oh, why me? My friend, the scriptures are clear. We must follow and imitate Christ. If we're to live a life that can produce his promises of us being more than an overcomer. Now, as we release our flesh, In the tomb, here's what transpires. The Holy Spirit begins to reproduce what Jesus has done to your flesh. He reproduces the death in your flesh to sin. Your flesh now becomes subservient to the process of salvation. In the tomb, the Spirit of Jesus is preserved. So as the Holy Spirit reproduces the actions of Jesus in you, your spirit man is also preserved. And as I've told you, it returns to its original state. That's what preserved means. What a glorious station the tomb now becomes. We here are made by the force of the actions of Jesus to be free from the evil associations and actions of our flesh. We're preserved to be ready for the next step in the development. Well, now we see we are now preserved and our, our physical self, our flesh man reproduces nine fruits. And when it does, from those nine fruit, we know that the Holy Ghost has reproduced the actions of Jesus Christ in the tomb. What have we seen here? we've seen the action of burial by Jesus, the reproduction of that burial in us by the Holy Spirit who is revealing Jesus to us, then the concurrent display of the plan of salvation that demolished the head of the house of the wicked, and we are preserved and ready for the next step. The next step will follow quickly as Jesus did all of this in a three-day period. Now, that's the thing I want to stop here just shortly and say. The actions that I'm teaching Jesus accomplished in a three-day period. Because we don't know that we are supposed to go through these portions, we go to the cross and stop there. We never partake of the work of the reproduction of the Holy Spirit in the actions of all of the six works that began at the cross. Now, the next step will follow quickly as Jesus descends into the region of the damned. Here, he takes the sin of the world, which includes mine and yours, and returns those sins to their place of origin. Now, remember, we have a new place of origin in our spirit, man, because we died to the flesh and reflect that in the nine fruit of the Spirit. Now then, the old spirit man has to be deposited in the place from which there is no way out. How do I know that? Because Jesus is going to lock the door behind him. And anybody that ever goes in there after he leaves will be cast over the wall. So he's going to take your sin and my sin and we, together with him, are spiritually going to go into the region of the damned, deposit our sin there, and then have the Holy Spirit extract us. Now watch. Taking my and your sin into that origin, he arrives there, he appears to be nothing more than just the ravages of sin. But hell is unaware of the fact that his spirit man has been preserved in the tomb. It's in its original condition. They're unaware of the fact that his flesh is well prepared to be left in hell, but his inner man is by no means ready to remain in this disgusting environment because it has returned to its original state. So the Holy Spirit comes to retrieve him from hell. Sin is laid There, and it no longer is a part of the person of Jesus Christ. He hears the voice of the Holy Spirit in his preserved inner man. He is raised from the dead. Once raised, he is clothed in garments of righteousness. He is now in command of hell. He takes the keys of death and hell. He preaches across the gulf to those who awaited his appearing and exits hell as the victoriously anointed Jesus. Coming out of hell, he takes the plunder of the region. What might he take? Well, such things as fallen talents, or misused ability, or anything that could allow a child of God, a saint, to achieve success in their earthly walk. He takes goods from hell by his force, Why does he do that? Well, because they belong to him. They always have. They've been misappropriated by those who chose to serve Satan. Now remember, in the tomb, the preservation of the spirit, the original state of man, the original state where man had control of everything. Fallen man took what God had given to the original man and manipulated it and misused it until Jesus went to hell. There, he simply took back what belonged to him. Now, who was he intending to give it to? Well, he was intending to give it back to those who were operating in the new preserved original state that has been reproduced in them by the Holy Ghost, now we can understand why I have not seen the earth heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But it's been revealed to us by the Spirit. My friend, he took back all of the talents and abilities and goods that had been amassed and wasted to give them back to those who were preserved back into their original spiritual state to those who would no longer serve Satan. Seeing what he has done, how do we follow in his footsteps? Well, we go with him and lay flesh and our sin in hell, where it belongs. Do we do it in something we can see? No, no, we do it in the spirit world. We know that our spirit man is prepared for the Holy Spirit to reproduce what's been done in Jesus. Remember, We have been returned, preserved in the original state. He calls our spirit, and we are brought through the third phase of salvation. We are delivered, glory to God. We're brought out of that bondage. The door is locked behind us. We put on a new robe of righteousness. Here is where righteousness encompasses the believer. At the cross, we were forgiven and healed. In the tomb, our flesh died and we took on nine newly generated traits to identify it. But it is not until the portion of the resurrection that we change clothes into the robe of righteousness. This is critical, my friends, because we're all being told we're the righteousness of God. The issue is unless we're willing to go spiritually with Jesus into the tomb and into the depths of hell and lay our sin, our old nature there, come out of it with a new garment and be totally delivered from the bondage of Satan, we will never walk out of being poor, broken, bruised, blinded, and in bondage. But this is the moment of which Jesus speaks in Luke 4 of the acceptable year of the Lord, where we have now been resurrected with Jesus Christ in the spirit world. The door is locked behind us and we are wrapped in robes of righteousness. Now watch this. Do we come out empty-handed? Well, I will ask you a question. Did Jesus come out empty-handed? Well, the answer to that is no. No. He said that he was going into the strong man's house and plunder his goods. And if we are operating in the reproductive acts of Jesus Christ, then we don't come out of hell empty-handed. We come out with the assurance of the operation of the keys of death and hell. They are working. The door is shut behind us. We'll never die. That's what Jesus told the Jews in John 8. We'll never see death. We'll never see the devastation of hell. We don't come out empty-handed. They will no longer serve to lock us and keep us in any kind of bondage. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. How could this be when Christians are living in oppression, depression, anxiety, when they're living in all of the trauma of the issues of life, they're up one day and down the next. Trying to tell you, they haven't been into the region of hell and realized that the work that Jesus Christ has done there has delivered them by the force of that action and made them totally free. And if the Holy Ghost has reproduced the acts of Jesus in you, then my friend. There is no such a condition for a Christian as anxiety, oppression, depression, and walking in dark places. The reason we're there is because we have never, ever understood that there is a portion that comes out of the resurrection of which we must have reproduced in us by the Holy Ghost and salvation's plan to be enacted concerning your deliverance. That's why we're in bondage. That's why our people are living as they are. No one is telling them the truth. I'm trying to share it with you. I'm trying to give it to you. I'm trying to show it to you. Your righteousness comes out of your position of coming out of the depths of hell delivered from the bondage of sin so that you can live in the robes of righteousness And those robes of righteousness by the force of what they have done to clothe you. Make you free from bondages, brokenness, blindness, bruisedness, and poverty. That belongs to you. But if you never experience the reproduction of the resurrection of Jesus Christ under the clothes and the robes of righteousness then you have nothing but vulnerability. You're vulnerable to the lies of the devil. You're vulnerable to his attacks. You're vulnerable to the things that he would put in front of you and the ways he would make you feel. You're vulnerable. But if we would just come out of the, the resurrection and be clothed in righteousness and understand its effects in the spirit world and that what Jesus has done is being reproduced in you by the Holy Ghost, lives would change. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I pray that you will minister to your people and open our eyes that we may see. We give you praise and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Well, friends, I hope this is ministering to you. I hope it's making some sense to you. I pray that the Holy Ghost opens your eyes. Well, find him as Lord, and you'll be able to bring the plunder that you've taken out of hell and out of this earth and it at his feet. He'll make every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And when he does, they will as well bow to you. If you'll find him as the man of the Godhead, he'll speak to you and show you great and mighty things that are to come. May God bless you is my prayer until we speak again.